0: Right, well, it's flashing at me, so I assume something's happening. Can you all hear me? Good, good. Okay, that's great. That's great. Um, I really, really enjoyed what we've done so far, the worship and everything. And the reason for that is that I turned up on a Sunday, and I have get myself more comfortable. I have an advantage over the rest of you, only one, and that is I know what I think I'm going to say. You haven't got a clue, but I know what I think I'm going to say. And I could sit back down again, because you've all said it. This morning, in the 40 minutes we've been here, between you all, the hymns we've sung, the words we've used, things that people have brought, the prayers you brought, you've said everything I intend to say this morning. Matter of fact, we'll have a little bit of a game. See if you can click it off as we go through. Because I'm there worshipping, thinking... I'm going to say that, that's amazing, that's just incredible. Um, it's wonderful when God does that. It's reassuring for me because it means, I must be trying to say roughly the right thing then, I'm on track, I'm on message, and it's even more reassuring when you know that no one prepares anything here in the sense that we don't coordinate it. I had no idea what Amos was going to say, I had no idea what songs Joshua was going to bring. Matter of fact, you weren't even down to lead worship at one point. So. But God speaks to us, and that's the amazing thing. That we have a father who interacts with us and speaks with us constantly, all the time. It's a pity we're not always listening, but he's speaking to us all the time. We're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke, so we're looking today at Luke 15, and we're looking at uh, Luke 15, verse eight, which is a parable, uh, again, one of, um, again, of quite a well-known parable, the parable of the lost kind. Now, to just put this in context, this parable doesn't stand alone. It has a simple message which you could take out of it on its own, but it doesn't stand alone. It's part of a trilogy of parables. Jesus actually told three parables parables off the bat. Bang, bang, bang. And this is the middle one. So he started off by talking about the parable of the lost shepherd, which I think Andy preached on last week. Then he told the one about the lost coin. And then he told one that's probably more famous and, and well-known, the prodigal the prodigal son. Let's look at the actual verse, and then we'll take it from there. I've no idea what that is, but it looks tremendous fun. It's great. <laughs> <coughs> so we're looking at Luke 15 and verse 8. So he just finished telling pe- the, the parable of the... Um, the lost sheep and he goes straight into this one or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one does she not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me I have found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents So that's part two of what Jesus was trying to say. But let's look at the background of what was going on here, then it starts to make a little bit more sense. What was happening here, that Jesus' ministry was increasing, more and more people were being drawn to him, his impact and his effect was growing, and with that, there came some problems. You see, the people that were hanging around with Jesus, or the people that Jesus chose to hang around with, not the ones that everybody else liked the pharisees the scribes all the religious people they didn't want to associate with them they didn't want to be associated with sinners with the needy with the poor with the sick or with the tax collectors who were a sort of ultimate form of traitor to the jews they didn't want to have anything to do with them yet these people were attracted to jesus and what's more jesus hung out with them he socialized with them he spent his life with them he didn't go and stay in the houses of the rabbis or go and stay with the Pharisees or hang around in the synagogues, he almost, unless he was picking a particular argument, which we've heard about, avoided that. He actually went and spent his time with the people that they didn't want to associate with. And they were thinking, why is he doing that? Why is he he doing that? What's going on? It's not right. And Jesus knew that. And that's what he went off the bat when he knew what they were thinking. He then told them three parables. Bang, bang, bang. He told them about the lost sheep. And he told them about the lost coin. And then he told them about the prodigal son. Because Jesus was trying to make a clear message, a clear point. Not sure whether they got it, but it leaps out to us. He was talking primarily About, we've talked, we we alluded to it this morning, but you're talking about real value. What does God actually value? Well, God values us. And the analogy of using the silver coins, I always used to think that this coin was very valuable, that, you know, this was someone's life savings, that uh, she had these 10 silver coins and maybe they were a dowry and they were worth a lot of money and, you know, she'd lost something that was huge, you know, it was very vitally important to her. Actually, it wasn't. It was worth roughly a day's wages. So still a few quids worth to her, but not the end of the world. It wasn't of tremendous value. It was of a nominal value. And yet, what happens? In his story, the woman goes to great effort to find the coin. Now, in their sort of house, if you can imagine what they lived in, it had no natural light, it had no windows, because didn't do windows in those days. There was a door, so you got in and out. And then everything else was just dark. And there would probably be just straw or vegetation on the floor to give some sort of covering. And there'd be very basic furniture. So if you've lost something, it's not going to be easy to find. If it's gone down, it's going to be very difficult to find. Hence, he says, you have to light a lamp. You have to make quite an effort. You have to light a lamp, shine the lamp around, sweep through the floor to find this item that you found, that you've lost. And then it says, she finds it. Great, she finds it. She goes through all this effort and she finds it. What happens? Well, great rejoicing. She has her friends around. She says, I found it. It was lost. I found it. Come on, let's, let's celebrate that. That's, that's brilliant. Let's, let's enjoy that moment. There's joy in that whole thing. That is a complete contrast to the world that Jesus was living in where the religious people actually didn't care about the sinners, didn't want to associate with them, they didn't really care about the lost, they've wandered off, they've got lost, that's their problem. They were casting them off. What Jesus was saying, or giving them a picture of, was the complete reverse. No, effort was being made that people went out and drew them in. There's three very clear points that come out of all of these stories when you put them together. One, the value of each soul. God values each one of them, each one of us. Secondly, that people would search. They would make an effort. They would go out and actually look for them. God would do that. God makes the effort. And then there's great rejoicing. There's joy. There's celebration over that one individual, that one individual. We sang a lot about the trilogy of God, and it came up a couple of times, and that's an amazing thing. Now, I can't explain the trilogy to you. I will not attempt it. I've read a number of books. I've listened to a lot of theologians, and I can tell you now, I still don't understand it, but I accept that there are three parts to God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I can't explain it, can't understand it, but I'm glad I live in the un- the benefit of of God being in three three aspects to God, and they come out in this story, because if you look at these three stories, they sort of illustrate different facets of God. The first one, the good shepherd, that's fairly clear, isn't it? It's Jesus. Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd many times. It was an analogy they would understand. They lived in a community where looking after animals and agriculture was very much part of what they did so yeah that was normal they, they would understand that and they would understand the concept of you've lost a sheep you need to make a big effort to go and find it and he was saying in a way Jesus was saying that's what I am that's what I do and then you the, know the story that comes up of the prodigal son where he returns to his father it's okay it's just my grandson ignore him it, um it turns to his father you know that's God. God accepts back. God says, it's okay. Whatever you've done, however bad it was, it doesn't matter. I love you. I take you back. And then we have this little one in the middle. And this one, is sort of like the woman is like the church. You might think, well, where is he going with this? It's weird. The woman is like the church. You see, we always refer to the church as the bride of Christ. Now, I don't feel like the bride of Christ, I must be honest, I find that a slightly strange thing, but it's, we're referred to the church family as the bride of Christ. And all through the Bible, it refers to the church as female. with a bride of Christ. And what equips us, what gives us light, is the Holy Spirit. And it's that Holy Spirit that then empowers us to go out and do things, to go out and make the effort to go out and do the things we need to do, to go out and do the searching. Now, you might think I'm stretching a point there, but it, that's how God works. He works in three different ways. And I think there's a great fallacy that we all fall into this trap until we mature as Christians. And that's it. We would all say we have found God. We're talking to people and we say, yeah, yeah, I've found God. I've become a Christian it's not actually true is it we didn't find God God found us he came and searched for us and found us he got hold of us there's a quote from Spurgeon that I love which says one of man's greatest fallacies is that he believes that God searches for men until they find him and it's like we see it the wrong way around You know, we keep thinking that we've discovered God. Well, all that happened was that maybe we woke up, but God was searching for us. I I spent the first 30 years of my life as a non-Christian. I wouldn't say I was a bad person, wouldn't say I was an exceptionally good person, but I was a non-Christian. And I can look back at my life in almost two halves. The bit where I'm a Christian, and I have a relationship with God, and the bit where I didn't. But the one thing I can say, looking back at the first part of my life, is there were an awful lot of coincidences, which I now no longer believe in, things that happened, incidents, contacts, events. God was on my case. He was working on me from when I was a child, even when I was hostile to Him, even when I didn't care about Him, even when I was just, so what? God was on my case. And at some point, I woke up and thought, I've discovered God. No, I didn't. He was always there. Always chipping away at me. Always doing something. Always putting the right person in the right place at the time. Even if what they said or did annoyed me at the time, I'm so glad they were there. And I I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but when I get to heaven, there are quite a few people I'd like to catch up with Now, one or two of them, I'd want to say, sorry, I was rude. Sorry, I didn't take you seriously, but thank you anyway, because you were part of the process that got me here. God got you to say or do or whatever, you know, you were obedient and that's good. I'm sure there's one or two people who will look at me and go, how the heck did you get here? But, you know, I'm just glad that... God was working. And I'm sure many of us can relate to that. We can think about our lives and what's gone on and the experiences we've had and you can see yeah. I can see God working there. And I know as an elder sometimes you're praying with people and you're working with them and you think I can see God's on your case. I know you're not you're struggling right now and things aren't great but I can see God is on to you working away at you and I've got the feeling that quite often once God says, I'm getting hold of someone, that's it. It might take a while, and it might be like reeling in a fish. You know, the fish goes back out, and you reel it back in, and the fish goes back out, and you reel it back in. But God gets you, because that's what he does. He looks for us. He cares for each one of us. We have great value to him, and there will be rejoicing over that one, over you and me. God is searching for us. I love these three parables for a number of reasons, but the main reason I love them is, for me, they illustrate grace. Grace is something that I heard about when I first became a Christian. I thought, oh, that's nice. And then I never really understood it. I sort of thought I understood it but I didn't really understand it. And it was a word we use, and in Christian circles we use it all the time, and we talk about it. But then I really get it. And I don't think so. And then when I'd been a Christian about five or six years, someone gave me a book and said, read this book. It's just so helpful. And it was the biography of John Newton. And I read it, and... I got it. And the reason I got it was if any of you know anything about John Newton, or if you've never read his biography, or you don't know what his background is, follow it, read it. Because there was never, or very rarely, such a completely rotten individual that you can think of. I mean, he was cast out of his home as a child for being so terrible. He joined the Navy this is in 1700s, so he joined the Navy, was so foul and bad behave, be badly behaved and was punished so regularly that the Navy threw him out. Now, this is in the days of the press gang, where they went around taking prisoners and put them into the Navy. He was so bad, the Navy got rid of him. They actually swapped him with a slave trader. Now, that's one stage away from just being hung to just get rid of you, just kill you off. He was swapped with a slave trader. He became a slave trader. He traded human souls. He admits to torturing humans. The sort of people he was in, they made him a slave. There were times where he was persecuted and beaten up and was made a slave himself. Because we think of slavery as just simply white people against black people. Well, if you look at it, it's a lot more complex than that. It's been, been multiracial slavery has gone on for many, many generations, and it's, it's quite terrible. We won't go into that. But it happened to him. So he had the experience of trading slaves himself and being one himself. And then one day, he was on a ship, and there was a terrible storm. And being an old sailor, he thought, we're going to die. And so he did the only thing he could think of doing, which was lash himself to a mast, and then think, we're going to die. And at that point, he remembered what his mother had taught him because his mother was a Christian and she had a great input into him as a child and he thought it was rubbish. But he remembered it and he turned to God and he prayed and he survived the storm. A lot of terrible things still happened to him, but that man, John Newton, became a pastor. He actually thought... I've got to change, I've got to be completely different. So he became a pastor, and he became a pastor of a church in Oxfordshire, he became a great parish priest at a time when people did that purely for the money. It was a living, as they would call it. But he was a genuine believer, and he did amazing works in his parish. He was then moved to a parish in London, where he did it again, bringing in the poor, the, the destitute, the, pe- the needy, bringing them into his church and doing things. And then when he was an old man, He met a young man, who he had a phenomenal influence on. That was Wilberforce, who went on to lobby to get rid of the slave trade. And the reason he had such influence was he stood there as a pastor and told him about being a slave trader, and told him about what he'd been through. You think, oh, wow, okay. When you understand where he came from and where he ended up, and then you look at the hymns he wrote because he was a prolific hymn writer, and he wrote Amazing Grace, and then I understood I got it. It was grace. This man was rotten, rotten to the core, did horrible, horrible things to other people and didn't care, and yet. He turned to God, and God used him powerfully. He's still using him. We still sing Amazing Grace. We sing it regularly. This morning, we sang, How Sweet the Name of Jesus. Do you know who wrote it? John knew. He wrote it 200 years ago. Now, you used a ver- uh, modern music setting, but every single one of those words was written by that man. He knew grace. He understood that he was lost and that God had rescued him. God had got hold of him. If you think about the words to Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. I won't read the rest of it simply because I cannot. Um, I have found it impossible for 20 years to sing or read the words to Amazing Grace simply because I crack up so I'm not going to go there because it's embarrassing but that's what we've got that's what we have got now John Newton got it and put it into words and we still sing about it but that's the message from these parables that's, that's, that's what God is trying to get through to us he's I paid a high price, you were unworthy, you ran away, you were terrible, you ignored me, you did horrible things, I love you anyway, and I want you back. And that's what Jesus was trying to say to these people, not what the religious people were doing and what they were saying, he was saying, this is your value, this is your worth, this is what we want. Now, we can sit here and say, oh, isn't that wonderful, and have a nice warm glow, and think, it's great. God loves me that much, and that's true, that's great. But it's wrong to sit back and just do that. Because actually, it's not really about us. If we know that, that's great, That's wonderful. But what about those that don't? What about all those thousands of people out there that, that don't know that grace, have not experienced that mercy? So I think it's what we need to do now, is we actually need to share that. We need to make other people aware of it. I thank God for all the people who annoyed me at some point in my life by telling me things that were meaningless to me at the time, but now have great meaning to me. You know, people that invited me to things, or people that said things to me, um, or gave me things to read, or, you know, all the different things. That, that many, many people did over a period of time that was God working in me. Because God was searching me out. God was working on me. And it's what we need to do. We need to take our light, the spirit that God has given us, and go outside. And actually take that to other people. We need to be making an effort. We need to be making an effort to go into darkness. As nice as it is in here, and how cozy it is in our family. Jesus isn't going to come back here. There is no point. We know him. He knows us. He's going to be outside. He's going to be where the sinners are. He's going to be where the drug dealers are, where the prostitutes are. He's going to go where we don't really want to go, because that's what he did. That was his example. Because he wants those people to know that they're valued that they're worth just as much as we are. And there will be great rejoicing for each one of them. But they're not going to know unless we do something, unless we make every effort to take what we have and bring it to them. Now, there will be hostility. There will be rejection. There will be ridicule. There will be all sorts of stuff thrown at us. Um, We now even get persecuted for being bigots or whatever, in our own country because, you know, as I've said before, our society has shifted quite a lot. We're now regarded as dangerous radicals because we happen to be Christians. But even so, despite all of that, we have an obligation to go and share that. One small step in that direction is, is an alpha course, you know, just, just actually saying to people, come along if you're interested, find out something. But our, we should be out there. We should be making efforts to bring God's light And it's not about us, actually, is it? It's about God's love, and about God reaching out to others. I'm going to pray and then end, and I'm going to ask you if we can sing Amazing Grace. Okay? But I'm not going to stand here and sing it, because I can't. I have to sit down there. um, Lord, I thank you that we have value. I thank you, Lord God, that every single one of us, no matter how wretched we are, you rejoice over us when we think we have found you. I thank you, Lord, that you're always on our case. I thank you, you never let go. And I just pray now for those people that we have contact with that don't know you, that we can bring some of your light. We can show them something about you I pray for those that feel worthless and in despair. Lord God, that we can bring something of you to their situation. I just ask you, Lord, to use us in this. Empower us by your Spirit, Lord God, to bring your light, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Let's stand and sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace how sweet the sound that saved a like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that tore my heart to fear. And grace my fears relieve How precious did that grace appear The hour I first believed Through many dangers, toils and snares I have already come His grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. thou fount of every blessing tune my heart to sing thy praise streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious song Praise the mountain fixed upon Mount of God's redeeming love Here I raise my Ebenezer Hither by thy help I've come And I hope by thy good safely too Thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to Thee, prone to wonder Lord I. Lord, we do thank you that when we were wandering, you brought us in. You made us part of the fold of God.